A mental disease that makes you think you're already dead. And what exactly is the relationship between the old-school video game RuneScape and the city of New York, today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day, too. It is a busy, busy day for me here. Gotta go to work, and I gotta play. This is the last weekend of the play. Not gonna do any plays for a while, so I can focus more on the podcast. Probably not until the beginning of next year. This is also the last episode of the week before Halloween month, October. We got some spooky stuff coming. We're gonna launch our listener mail. As well, those episodes are going to be appearing at the end of podcasts. I may include, they may be their own separate bonus episodes, I'm not for sure yet, but uh, people who listen to the podcast will be able to listen to Listener Mail, and then of course they'll also be available on YouTube. we got a lot of cool, cool things going on here. Now, I wanted to say something. I, I think there's an issue where you may feel like I'm being a little inconsistent on things. And and I think it's because the two episodes came kind of hit back to back that I realized it. On the episode about vortex jumpers, and it was the oh it was the people who were who got radiation sickness from the UFO, they hired the lawyer. The lawyer was like, I believe a vortex will open up at the bottom of this cliff and I'm gonna jump off into it. And I was like, the guy's nuts. That's totally ridiculous. And then the next episode I'm like Believe you are better than you are, and magical stuff will happen if you create this hyper sigil. And as I was, as a day passed between the episodes, I thought, really, what I was explaining with the hyper sigil was really no less crazy than what that lawyer was talking about with vortex jumping. And that's a fair criticism. What I would like to say to that, though, is that there are people that we profile on this podcast who have very dangerous ideas or fraudulent ideas, i.e. they're asking for money. I don't know if the hyper sigils work. They work for me. That idea, that way of kind of manipulating your own life, the, the positive thinking aspect of it, that's where I'm coming from. So I, I'm telling a guy who's encouraging, a guy who wants to jump off of a cliff to go into another dimension, I feel is more damaging to the overall human psyche than somebody saying, think positively and have a positive outlook and create the world you want and then work towards it. They're both, when you break them down to their metaphysical aspect, uh, skeptics could go, they're both equally insane. Fair enough. But talking about hypersigils and talking about positive thinking and that, I think is different than... People saying, you know, the government's after me because I was created in a laboratory. You may be created in a laboratory too. Join me in our fight against the government. Or 2012 is coming. The world's going to be destroyed. Fear, fear, fear. Hate, hate, hate. That's the difference. So again, if you say, Jason, you're just your show's getting a little inconsistent because every so often you'll talk about some sort of mystical thing you believe in. And the next episode, you just talk trash about these other people. That's kind of where it comes from. Sun gazing to me is different than carrying a rock in your pocket and thinking it brings you good luck. One <laughs> causes you to go blind. The other one is a harm, at, at its very least, is a harmless superstition. You're not going to go into debt because you have a rock in your pocket. You're not going to get hurt unless you, unless you fall on your side where the rock is and it was a like sharp piece of obsidian, but you know I can't take any blame for that. So I just wanted to address that. The first story we're going to talk about is actually something I heard about a long, long time ago. And like I said, I'm kind of a... I'm, I'm a big fan of zombie lore. 
And so this kind of came across my desk years and years ago. It's called the Cotard Delusion, also known as Walking Dead Syndrome, before the comic book. So what it is, it's a it's related to Capgras Syndrome, which we talked about before, where you, you think people have been replaced by clones. It's a brain disease. But this time it's totally inwards. So you start getting lesions on your brain. You have some sort of traumatic brain injury. You're have some chemical imbalance, and you start to get the feeling that you're dead. It's not an overwhelming thing at first, usually. You'll wake up one morning, you'll start brushing your teeth, you'll look in the mirror, and you'll think, I don't look alive. Something, Something's not right. I can see it in my eyes. People who suffer from this will say, my heart's not pumping anymore. I'm, I'm, I don't feel my pulse. My blood, my blood is missing from my body. My stomach has rotted away. It's putrefied. All my guts are slowly rotting. And their brain is reinforcing this. Their brain is basically giving them signals that they are dead. Now, they're not. It's a delusion. Because obviously, when they go to medical personnel, they'll say, Oh, no, listen, that's your heart beating. And they'll have an excuse for that. Or your organs haven't haven't actually liquefied, dude. And they'll be like, brains, brains. Actually, sometimes they'll become mute. Because what's the point of speaking when you're dead? They'll stop eating. They had one woman starved to death. I, she was actually the first reported case of it. It's called Cotard Delusion. It's called Cotard Delusion because it's named after the guy who discovered it. It was named after Jules Cotard, and this was in the 18, in 1880. They've had cases of it. It's very, very rare. But they don't know how rare. They don't know much about it because it's rare. And really, the only thing that doctors have to go off of is case studies. And they can go, well, you know, it could be related to this, could be related to that. But until someone pops up with the Cotard delusion, they really can't study it. And these people aren't necessarily the most cooperative because they're dead. So they recently had this one girl who's had it. And she was 17 years old. And there's an interesting article because she has gotten better. You know, you can you can fix it. It is treatable. And so this young girl was saying that one day she was sitting there in class and she just got the overwhelming feeling just like that she's dead. And she didn't know what to make of it. She's like, wait, she just felt that she had passed away. And she said as she was walking home from school, she thought, you know what? I'm going to go visit a graveyard because that's where my family is. Those are my friends. But she goes, there was no graveyard on the way home. So she just went home and to sleep it off. And it was gone. And then a period of time later, a couple weeks, a month or two later, it came back. She's like, I'm dead. Like, it terrified her, but she's like, I'm dead. I'm dead in this body. And it didn't go away this time. It lasted. It lasted for years and years. And she just dealt with it. She said, I'm just going to eat whatever I want because I'm dead and I can't put on any weight. So she started just eating whatever she wanted. She watched a lot of zombie movies and stuff like that. She said it felt comforting seeing other dead people because to her, everyone else was alive and she was like the outsider. And what happened was she eventually confided in a friend and she was really nervous about it. And this is why it's always important to talk to people about any sort of issues you're having. A lot of people are like, ah, I don't want to burden you. And they're really like struggling with some heavy stuff. And if you ever do tell someone and you burden them with it, they're just going to say, hey, I think you need to see a professional. And that may be the push you need to go see a professional. But anyway, so that's what happened. She finally told her friend and her friend said, well, I think you need to talk to your father about this. And then she told the father and the father goes, we need to take you to uh, get you some psychiatric help. 
And at this point, it had been like two years. She goes to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist goes, oh, you're suffering from Cotard's del- Cotard delusion. And she was like, I, it had a name? I wasn't the only person. So once she knew what it was called, she started looking up online. She saw other people had suffered with this. She saw that it was rare, and she started treatment. And she said she attributed her success to the or basically friends, her family and her boyfriend and watching Disney movies because watching Disney movies like made her happy. And she said, at one point I turned to my boyfriend and said, how can I be dead if I'm this happy? And that was kind of that push out of it. And now she talks to other people about it and, you know, tries to let people know that this is a real thing. So there is the way to get out of it. Now that is the most like in-depth story we could find on it. A lot of stuff is just little references in medical journals. There was a dude, this is not a good travel guide. Don't ever put this in your tourism book, South Africa. There was a dude in Ireland who got a traumatic brain injury. And his mom takes him to South Africa to live. And when he gets there, he's like, I'm dead and I'm in hell. I died of AIDS. And I'm just a corpse walking around. Leave that out of your tourism guide. Because if somebody is comparing your country to hell, Probably not going to get a lot of people visiting it. If, like, someone who visits there is like, I must have died on the airplane over. I must have gotten AIDS on that plane over. Now I'm in hell. That's not good. So, yeah, Kotar delusion. It's the brain can control the body to the point where you're feeling physical sensations and you're feeling your guts liquefy. It's telling your brain is telling you your guts aren't there anymore. And then you go, well, then I guess I don't need to eat. So fascinating little delusion. Creepy. You know, there's also the other theory. I don't believe this, but I'm going to throw this out here. What if people who suffer from Kotar delusion have been Mandela affected into a reality where they're still alive? So let's say that they died in their reality. Let's say the guy did get AIDS on the plane over to South Africa and then died immediately because I guess that's how AIDS works in his head. And when he gets off on the plane, so in our reality, where we're treating him medically, he's still alive. But in the reality he came from, he died. Or the woman who was the first case, Mademoiselle X, who starved to death, she said, I'm dead, so I don't have to eat. What if in her original reality, she did die, but she switched to our reality where she's alive. And now that she's died in our reality, she switches into yet another reality where she is still alive. I'm going to say this too, going on to that little rant. The whole thing about quantum immortality and quantum suicide, and we'll do a separate episode on that. I do have to say that is a thought experiment. Please don't put a gun to your head, pull the trigger, and think you're going to live. Quantum suicide is the belief that if you commit suicide, you can't exist in a reality where you have no consciousness. So if you die... You actually switch to a reality where you're still alive. Meaning, everybody lives forever. You can't comprehend a world that you can't, you have no senses for, therefore you don't die. So you pull the trigger and in the original reality you die from the gunshot, but in the reality you continue to experience the gun jams or someone walks in the room or something like that. And John McAfee, who came up with the McAfee antivirus, which is garbage antivirus. He's a big proponent of that. He actually put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger in front of a reporter, and he said, in another reality, I died. But here's my question. Here's my pushback on quantum immortality, quantum suicide. If you, let's say you get in a car accident, you're paralyzed from the neck down. So you didn't die, paralyzed from the neck down. And then you, your breathing tube breaks and you suffocate. When you switch to the new reality, are you still paralyzed from the neck down, but your breathing tube didn't break. So does that mean you're paralyzed from the neck down forever? Because you're still conscious. You can still perceive things. 
Basically, that would mean that if you ever were incarcerated for life or ever horribly paralyzed or mutilated or anything like that, you will just keep switching from reality to reality forever and always be locked in prison for life. So, or paralyzed from the neck down. And I just think that's a ridiculous idea. But I didn't want to throw that out with the Kotar delusion thing. The next story we're going to talk about is on the Conspiracy Iceberg. It's actually one that I've gotten a lot of requests for. We're talking about an MMO here called RuneScape. Now, RuneScape was one of the original MMO. Let me back up here. I don't know if RuneScape is is one of... I think RuneScape is one of the earliest MMOs. Uh, Ultima Online may have beat it by a bit. But anyways, RuneScape is an MMO, and what that is, it's a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. And you're basically... You can go off and quest by yourself or quest with a group, and... There's two components to it. One is the questing, fighting monsters. The other one is the social aspect. So you're hanging out with your buddies or you go into town. You're talking to people. There's all sorts of stuff like player versus player where on certain servers you can kill each other. And then there's servers where you just kill monsters. Brief overview of what MMOs are in general and then RuneScape as well. So what RuneScape, it's because it's so old. It's from 2001. It has this still... A loyal, loyal fan base who plays it, and they live in that game. Not literally, but they live, like, that's their form of entertainment. They go there, they talk to their friends and all that stuff. Now, what happened was, back in 2017, again, January 2017, on that iceberg, a conspiracy theory popped up. It was called RuneScape.nyc. And so, of course, people are like, what does that mean? So people began, and again, this kind of comes to stuff like golf rumors, where the phrase appears, and sometimes people, it could just be a made-up phrase. It could just be a phrase somebody put up on the iceberg as a joke, and we have to address that. That could be the answer to what this conspiracy is. It's not the most interesting answer, but we do have to address it. It could just be something made up. Now, also when phrases appear on the iceberg, sometimes people work backwards. They'll create a myth behind that phrase. One of the first ones I saw was that RuneScape is actually used as a money laundering operation. And they tied it into a robbery where a guy pulled out a BB gun on another player in real life and asked for like 4 million gold pieces in the game to be deposited in his account. And that happened in New York City. And the kid with the gun, the BB gun, got like 5 years because it is, you know, robbery. Now, I'm sure that online games are used as money laundering to a point. Definitely. It's an easy way to transfer money back and forth because you can cash in and out of games, sell items in real life, and so on and so forth. So I can buy an item in real life, sell it to someone else in real life. I've transferred the money from one individual to another, which was my end result, but I didn't have to worry about getting banks involved or wire transfers, things like that. Definitely possible. Definitely possible that people are using video games to launder money. That's not what I think the conspiracy theory is, though. There's the other conspiracy theory that... RuneScape, the land that RuneScape takes place in, is based on New York City. Apparently, one of the things that I saw was two of the guys who worked on RuneScape, they were urban explorers and they were going through New York and they found the skeleton of a hobo and they're like, let's create sewer levels in this game. I think any game that has like a a rich lived-in world is going to try to be as realistic as possible. They're going to have high society and low society. They're going to have people who live in rich houses, and they're going to have people who live on the outskirts. So I kind of disregard that one. And again, that's not very interesting. RuneScape.nyc I don't think is related to a hobo skeleton that two people found. There's another theory that RuneScape is basically set up like New York. 
this guy, and I'm not going to go through all the points because I think you'll get the idea of where we're at. This one guy said this was his quick rundown on RuneScape NYC. A single city is densely packed with multiple ethnicities on multiple islands and separate boroughs. RuneScape is densely packed with multiple races on multiple islands with separate kingdoms. Multiple methods to earn income in NYC and RuneScape are parallel, from begging on the streets, long-term skilled labor, PK, which is player killing, playing the stock exchange, begging only works because densely packed area, da-da-da-da-da. So basically, the elements that make the world of RuneScape work are closely related to the elements that happen in New York City. That you could you could compare it to Mumbai, you can compare it to London, you can compare it to San Francisco. It's an interesting thing, but again, when you're building a game that you want players to feel is a lived-in, vibrant world, you're going to have those levels of society. You're gonna have the underclass, you're gonna have the overclass, or the upper class, I guess is a better term for it. You're, the, the idea of people just kind of going about their day doing jobs. Some people just you know, want to sit around and beg for stuff. Some people work hard. Some people steal. That, that applies to any city. It's an interesting observation. But you'd see things like that in pretty much any MMO and any city. Not any MMO, but, you know, the good ones. So that leaves us with one theory, which I think is the source of RuneScape.NYC. So, again, when we look at these conspiracy theories, the timing's important. The one I just read you about, the quick rundown, that that was about 11 months ago. This one comes from July 2017, so it is after RuneScape NYC showed up on the iceberg list. So it could have been made up because of that phrase, but let's go ahead and take a look at this. This was a post on 4chan, and I'm going to read it. If I remember correctly, about three years back, there was an Anon claiming to be a research associate of Warren Sachs, the media theorist known for his computational maps of online social patterns. He claimed to have used Sachs' methods for building network models to an unprecedented degree, tracking the interactions of hundreds and thousands of users of MMORPGs, including RuneScape. His claim was this. After doing cross-comparisons, he saw that all results showed fairly similar maps, However, one server showed anomalous results. He saw that in this map, users seemed to rotate in routine micro-networks rather than interconnecting with disparate users as would be expected. So basically, he was running these models on these MMO servers and he could see that the groups of people would, all sorts of groups of people would just kind of intermingle with each other over time and he was mapping out how they were interacting with each other. But he found one particular server where you would see one group almost always interacting with themselves separate from this other group always interacting with themselves and this third group. And these servers aren't like 10 people. These are thousands and thousands of players. And he wouldn't really see them cross-contaminate. They, they would always run in their own little networks. Now, when, you have, when you're playing MMO, you may have your clan that you're always talking to, but you will come back into the city and interact with other people as well. But he wasn't seeing that on this particular server. Now, now back to the note here. Now, this guy was using similar methods to map the uses of a residential area in, you guessed it, New York. He noticed that the data he retrieved synced perfectly with the RuneScape networks if certain obvious translations were made. Going to work in real life correspond to grinding and game, travel routines and distances synced up. Intrigued, he did more tests on different servers, cross-analyzing them with random residential areas from his New York data, and started finding correspondences 
localized in certain places. Eventually, he even completed a map of New York showing which areas matched places in RuneScape. He checked the results by cross-comparing other similar surveys from American cities and other MMORPGs, but failed to find even remotely the same depth of similarities. So basically what he was doing was once he found he was mapping out people's movements in New York City as well as best as he could, and he started to notice a comparison between a particular area of New York City and a particular server of RuneScape. Then when he broadened his search to other boroughs in New York City and different servers in RuneScape, he noticed the same patterns. When he tried to replicate it with different video games or different cities, it wasn't working. He does go on to say here that the person who told him the story said that he was eventually fired because people thought he was crazy. He said, the guy who came up with this original story, that walking around the streets, he realized people were being controlled via players in RuneScape and that the entire city was an experimental zone testing digital control of populations. So that sounds obviously a lot like creepypasta. It sounds like someone posted that on 4chan and was like, oh, this would be a good idea for a story that, you know, I'm uncovering this mystery and I found out that the people of New York are being controlled by RuneScape players. So these people are just kind of walking around and going through their job. The player in real life is saying, oh, I'm going to grind today. I'm just going to focus on like, I'm a, I'm a metal smith. And in real life, that person wakes up and goes and works at the auto shop and comes home and the player's controlling him coming home. Now, obviously, that sounds like creepypasta. There's a couple different theories I have with this, too. And again, I have to say that this story came back, came out after... We're reading it after it appeared on the iceberg. The author claims that this story was posted on 4chan three years ago. What's interesting is that in... The story that we're reading takes a, we it was posted in 2017. Three years ago was 2014. In 2014, New York City got its own domain. It got .nyc. The entire city now has .nyc. So that matches up to, if the story is true, that the story takes place three years ago when he discovers this, and that was the same time that the city of New York got its own web domain, .nyc, which would explain why it's called runescape.nyc. The theory that this guy's putting forward is that the people of New York, or not maybe not all of them, but there are people in New York who are being controlled by players on RuneScape, and neither person knows either one's happening. The guy who's playing RuneScape just thinks he's on a cool server. The guy in New York is just going about his job. There's the possibility that the people playing the game do know what they're doing. And it, the system is set up as an exercise in how to digitally control people. So you set up a .nyc, you, you basically localize the internet for New York in some way. It still has broad access, but they're setting up a network. Who's they? I don't know. The government, whoever. Again, I'm just throwing out theories here. And the people who are playing the RuneScape game are doing it knowing fully well what they're doing. And they're trying to see if they can control random people through this network. So those are the more sinister sci-fi possibilities of what's going on. That it's some sort of government control. The thing with that theory is that you would have to have, you would basically have to have the ability to control people's minds with the internet. And that's really super sci-fi-y. And not only control people's minds through the internet, but have no way of having it being detected. And it would have to have a pretty effective 
pretty effective control rate because what if one day you're like grinding i mean anyone who plays uh role-playing games you get bored after a while let's say you do make the guy go to work the auto shop and then you're like you know what i'm gonna go and fight monsters does he just like go into the sewers they're like john john where are you going you're still on the clock and he's like lifting up a manhole and he jumps down he's like beating up 10 goblins so, I mean, I think that when when you put a little bit of thought into it, that kind of falls out. If we do accept that this story is true, and let's do it for the sake of argument, I think it's the other way around. I think that it's not the people in the RuneScape, not the players of RuneScape who are controlling the people. I believe, I, I, let me rephrase it, I don't necessarily believe, but let's, for the sake of argument, what is far more likely is that there is a surveillance apparatus in New York City that is being tested. And it is so advanced that what people do in real life is mirrored in the game. So you basically are using an algorithm and you could sit at a server and go, if you know what player represents what person, you could look at the server and go, oh, he's at his job today. That's weird. How come he's not there? That's weird. Why is he talking to this person? You would have a surveillance apparatus that would basically break down people to ones and zeros, and then you could watch them in real time on this server. That's more realistic, and that's actually a more feasible. So there's no control taking place. There's no mind control. There's no player involvement. You're basically able to watch these people where they're at because you would be able to correspond. Oh, he's in the Valley of Dorgdoth. That is Brooklyn. So he's there. Why they would do this, other than like surveillance, I guess why is not the, the right word, but you think it would just be easier to have video cameras everywhere, but again, you might get a bunch of civil liberty stuff going on. If you're pinging people off of their cell phones and you give everyone an avatar and everyone a name and only you know what those mean, if anyone ever caught you, they would literally have to find the servers and prove that the servers are actually recorded information from real people in New York City. And of course, any court would throw that out. They're like, what are you talking about? I think that's what, what the conspiracy theory is. I don't think it's about NPCs or mind control. I think if it, if it is real, it is a surveillance network that is so vast because it's undetectable. Because you take that information and you put it into a video game, and unless you know the code of what to look at, it just looks like a bunch of random video people doing random video game stuff. What are they going to do? Subpoena your server? Yeah, like, yeah, sure, go ahead. It's just a bunch of dudes fighting orcs. But in real life, he's playing football or something. I don't know. But it would be a surveillance tool that you would never have to worry about showing in court, but it would give you complete view of what everyone was doing at every single time in this entire city. Spread out over multiple servers, but you're the government, you're whoever who has this type of money to throw around, and you want access to that information. But basically, the .NYC wasn't like this great gift for the people of New York City. It was a way to localize their internet so this system, this surveillance system would work. Is it possible? I guess. Is it plausible? Maybe. But again, what we're going off of, as far as we can see, is creepypasta written after the initial iceberg was posted. So it does say that it took place earlier, and we have to take, we don't have to, but we're taking this person's word for it. And they're saying people were controlled, but I think it, if it is anything, if it exists in any way, shape, or form, I think it may be one of the most advanced, undetectable, unprovable surveillance systems that exist on the planet. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, and I will see you Monday.